Hello and welcome to a special edition of the podcast, which is going to review some of the crucial journalistic issues which came up on Tuesday when representatives of Ofcom, the industry regulator, appeared before Parliament's Culture, Media and Sports Committee. Uh, watching for us was Professor Stuart Purvis, former Chief Executive of ITN and former Content and Standards Partner at Ofcom. Stuart Purvis, thank you for joining the podcast again. Uh, you picked up the Daily Telegraph this morning and read an article by the Chief Executive Ofcom that caused you to have an intake of breath. Why? Well, I think what's going on at Ofcom is that there is a pause for thought going on about this whole issue of should politicians present programmes. There are two reasons for that. First of all, there are now two cases which they have to make a decision about. One is the well-known programme where Jeremy Hunt was interviewed by two backbench Tory MPs. The other one, which has had less profile, but in some ways I think is more significant, is a Reese Mogg programme. That's his nightly uh, programme, in which there was breaking news from uh, America. It's actually about Donald Trump. And it came in the middle of the programme, and he got reaction to that news in the programme. Now, if that isn't a news programme, I'm not quite sure what is, and therefore should a politician have been presenting it. But, of course, the Ofcom line, as we have discussed on your podcast before, is that, aha, there's this separate thing called current affairs, and politicians can present current affairs. Um, so uh, the fact that in the Daily Telegraph, Melanie Dawes has sought to put in writing in her name for the first time that politicians can present current affairs programmes. And the implication in her article is that somehow this is allowed under the current rules is, I'm afraid, again, a smokescreen around the fact that nowhere in either in the statute or in the code or in the guidance are the words current affairs programmes ever mentioned in, uh, in the context of impartiality. In other words, where does it say in the law or the code or the guidance that politicians can present current affairs programmes? It doesn't. Now, we could uh, draw two conclusions from this. One is that Melanie Dawes doesn't read her own, um, uh, her own rules, if you like. Or the other, you could say that actually they find the problem of distinguishing between news and current affairs and defining what is a news programme too much for them, and therefore they've given up. Uh, is that a fair assumption? I, I think it's a reasonable assumption. Of course, of, of the other interpretations is that they feel that the, the government of the day would like there to be more people expressing more views which are sympathetic to the government, and they have previously been doing under impartiality, which Ofcom may be wishing to give, a, say, a fair win to. Or, you know, we could be, just could be, in the middle of a little bit of a U-turn here, but they need to have these standards cases, they call them, to have them decided in order for them to then clarify what's going on. In other words, these cases may be the punctuation mark that allows Ofcom to say, aha, there's a bit more to this than we thought, we better have another look at it. I do think that what they should have done is divide, if you like, the programme into news and comment. And when it's news, the commentator, if you like, passes back to the newsroom. The news is done and fulfils all the obligations that are required of it. Then you come back and then the comment person can express their own views, but also has, again, a responsibility to make sure that other views are mentioned or are dealt with or given the opportunity of expressing themselves. 
Yes, that's absolutely uh, one possibility. Um, I mean, for instance, you remember Channel 4 in the early days used to have Channel 4 comment, where people would come up after the news and give commentary, and they were uh, people from various backgrounds, including politicians. So you can have a clearer separation between news and comment. But I thought it was a very sort of telling moment today when um, John Nicholson, MP, the Scottish Nationalist MP, of course, is a former broadcaster himself. This was at the DCMS Select Committee uh, at Parliament this morning, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And he's obviously a, a, a regular uh, on that committee and often raises interesting specifics. And he held up a, a, a freeze frame of Maurice Mogg looking directly at the camera to prove that actually Maurice Mogg was uh, basically meeting one of the criteria of the Ofcom definition of a news programme that the presenter looks straight at the camera. So he, he's basically sort of gathering evidence that proves... I think the point that certainly I've been making, that this distinction they're making between news and current affairs is not a genuine one. It is almost a device to enable politicians to present programmes. There's that specific issue, but there are also concerns about how quickly Ofcom comes to a conclusion about events which you thought were so obvious that additional information would hardly be required. But in the case, for example, of the two Tory MPs interviewing their own Chancellor of the Exchequer... I mean, there it was. It's a fact. Why does Ofcom need a large amount of time to make up its view about whether that fits within the rules? I would have thought that's an overnight job, isn't it? It could be done in a week and has been done in a week when there's an election on because there's no point uh, in holding the hearing if the, you know, if the election will be well over before the case is resolved. So it can be done. And I think on that case there is an interesting issue about the people who were doing the commentary. Were they providing, if you like, impartial commentary or were they taking an alternative view to Jeremy Hunt? That may sound, a, again, sort of uh, dancing on the head of a pin, but I think that the case is probably going to rest on that point, was were truly alternative views offered in that programme or was there just a kind of impartial analysis offered by commentators? But also what matters is perception of the audience. If you're looking at two MPs you know are going to vote almost certainly for the Chancellor and certainly are going to vote for the government in any confidence issue, you can't really have a great deal of confidence that they're impartial, can you? It might be a nudge and a wink, but not much more than that. Well, this issue of, of perception, Roger, is being used in a number of different ways and, I th- and it's worth flagging what I think is also going on, is... It's often said now, and it's the basis really of Ofcom's research into what to do about this issue of politicians presenting programmes, is to see what is the perception, what are the views of viewers and listeners. Well, of course, my experience is that the more the broadcaster or a channel uh, espouses views which at the very least test the Ofcom rules and occasionally break them, the more they get the reputation for coming from that particular position, which almost solves the perception problem for Ofcom because the, the viewer and listener says, oh, GB News, well, we all know that's a right-wing channel, so, of course, and actually quite like hearing right-wing views, OK, well, why don't you just carry on and make more of those programmes? But then there's that distinction between... I mean, public debate is virtually only possible. Let me make a wild generalisation. If there's a broad agreement on a set of facts and then there's a debate about how those should be interpreted and what they mean and so on, but there's a starting point a trusted news service provides you from which you can have a range of different 
opinions. What we want to avoid, presumably, is a situation where you can't trust the news because you shouldn't trust the news because of the people are providing it to satisfy the audience, not to satisfy the truth or the facts. I mean, is that something that we think ought to be the principle behind what Ofcon does? Yes, encourage a wide range of views, but ensure that those views start from a set of facts, if you like, which can be determined. Well, that's a, it's an interesting concept, because if you put it uh, in the position of the programme I mentioned, which is currently under review by Ofcom, of the resmog programme where there was breaking news from America, the question then is, uh, would you trust resmog to give a proper account of what the breaking news was, or would he inevitably give a version of it which would side with his commentary, with his personal view. And so I think you're absolutely right. If you can't trust someone to tell you breaking news without being suspicious that you're actually hearing the proper breaking news, then where are we? I mean, what what is the value of the news we're consuming in television and radio if you can't trust it? I wonder if there's a general pattern here that you've observed with the behaviour of Ofcom. It seems in the uh, new media bill, which was talked about in the Commons today and elsewhere, the the government intention and and indeed the way in which Ofcom is interpreting things is essentially to push down to the broadcasters the responsibility for basically determining whether almost defining, not so much determining, but also defining how things should behave, as if Ofcom believes, well, let's leave it to the market. We don't believe that the government and ourselves should be, if you like, defining too much, let a thousand flowers bloom. That seems to pervade what's going on. Would you agree with that? Uh, Yes, I would. I would. That, That is absolutely the direction of travel is do audience research, create some kind of methodology, some kind of metrics under which uh, judgments can be made, under which members of the public who would like to change the whole approach to what is public service broadcasting, for instance, can have sway. They can actually say, I know that, you know, I've grown up on on, uh, impartial news, but actually I rather like this partial news. You, You could then point to a research sample that shows that and change the rules or adjust the rules accordingly. I mean, what is Parliament for if not to make decisions based on a broader public interest rather than to put decisions out to to market research? Because ultimately, the uncomfortable facts don't get mentioned. In a podcast we're going to put on later this week, and I've been talking to Andrew Neil. he was saying to me about an interview he'd done with the Chancellor of the Exchequer, with Richard Sunak, when he was Chancellor, saying, what is the cost of net zero? And Sunak said, hmm, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, and afterwards, apparently, Sunak told Andrew Neil, uh, nobody's ever asked me that question. And, you know, there is the danger that the uncomfortable question like that, we're all broadly want net zero, don't we? All we're worried about what's going to happen. The difficult question will not get asked if, it's, if the programme is presented by somebody who is absolutely preoccupied in that instance, for example, with climate change and, and getting to net zero as quickly as possible. Yep, absolutely right. And that's why this area is so important. That's why some of the things we've taken for granted over the last... 50 years of broadcasting in this country seem now to be under review and seem to be, as I put it, being put out to audience research. I'm not in any way saying that the audience's view is not important, but if that is going to be the way that uh, broadcasting is regulated, 
then I cannot see how uh, there's going to be a, a broad balance of, of content. In, in, and I don't just mean by left-right balance. I mean a broad balance of content in terms of different genres. If we are led by what is the most popular genre, how do we then get a range of genres? And, of course, it'll be, you know, what we see in newspapers is that a lot of tycoons are quite happy to uh, live offshore shall we say, under different tax regimes and lecture the British public about the way they should pay their taxes. Um, but we've also seen a situation where a lot of right-wing figures are prepared to lose a lot of money to have the influence that newspapers can bring. We see a little bit of that now with GB News. For example, as you pointed out in our last podcast, uh, there's a dearth of people prepared to lose a great deal of money representing views from left of centre. Now, I suppose if you argue, as Andrew Neil has done, that, that basically there's a left liberal bias. You're not as worried about that. But the fact is that if anybody is able to broadcast and if the rules are relaxed, almost inevitably the powerful will gain more power, won't they? Yes, they will. And the market forces will not solve that problem, nor, in truth, would a government intervention. So, I mean, the question then is, if more of broadcasting falls under this same uh, uh, direction uh, of travel, then, you know, what? there's nowhere else to go. Broadcasting is, in truth, the last place standing where you can expect some kind of impartiality. And if that falls, then, frankly, all media will become partisan, as we've seen in America. Do you think, finally, that, Stuart, that, that it's people of our age who are raising these issues? That uh, is it? You know, obviously, we'll be, people would say, oh, well, you know, you, you just don't like change and so on. But let's put that aside. I am disappointed by the number of people who don't speak out in positions now of reasonable authority in, in these areas. The debate that I expected to happen doesn't seem to be happening. I don't know what the Labour Party's position on this is. They've got some sort of commission looking at the future of broadcasting. But nothing I've seen from the Labour Party itself indicates that they regard this as a priority issue. Are you worried that, that the salience of these, this issue is not what it should be? Uh, yes, I do. And I think it's to a certain extent with the constant changing media landscapes. I mean, in the um, select committee's hearing uh, with, for instance, John Whittingdale, uh, when they got down to the detail of what will the rules be about in-car systems, on-demand radio, you could see where people, frankly, they would say at that point, I'm afraid this is all a bit beyond me because there are so many different technologies involved. There are so many different uh, forms of regulation that can and can't be applied that um, even a good public citizen trying to keep track of the debate is to be congratulated if they can. And therefore, there are people speaking up, and, and, and you're one of them, I commend you for it, who are bringing these issues to the attention of at least those who are willing to listen, if not to those who are unwilling to listen. And I don't think you, we should give up on that. And central to this is trust. Can the audience trust the broadcast news? And if it can't trust it, we might as well all give up. Uh, Stuart Purvis, thank you for very much again from making very clear what is, I think, and you think is a very disturbing development in news. Thank you very much for talking to us. Our thanks to Stuart Purvis, former Chief Executive of ITN and Ofcom Regulator. And that's it for this podcast, but not for this week. A little later, we'll be releasing an interview I've just done with one of the big beasts in broadcasting, Andrew Neil who will be talking to us about GB News, public service broadcasting, impartiality and his future.
I hope this week alone should be enough to convince you to support our journalism. It won't take long. It's less than £2 per month, which also gives you access to a weekly newsletter. You can find the link on our website and in the description of this programme on your podcast platform, where you'll also find details of how to contact us on Twitter, Mastodon and by email. And if you didn't know already, this podcast is presented by me, Roger Bolton, and is produced by Kate Dixon. The sound is by Dave Kitto, and special thanks to Quingenti. It's a good egg production. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>